Hello and welcome to the Luxembourg History Podcast, brought to you by RTL Today. My name's Tom Tutton and I'm your host for our first series. Today we're looking at the Nazi occupation of Luxembourg from May 1940 to September 1944. We'll talk about the absorption of Luxembourg into the German Reich, collaboration and resistance amongst the Luxembourgish population, the deportation of the Jews and the darkest day in Luxembourg's history. We hope you'll enjoy the podcast. As we learned last week, Luxembourg was invaded by the Nazis on May 10, 1940. The Grand Ducal family only just managed to escape the country thanks in part to an advance warning that the invasion was imminent. The country was initially run by military authorities until July 31st, when the civil administration area of Luxembourg was set up. The chief of the civil administration area was a man called Gustave Simon, whose name is still despised today in the Grand Duchy. Simon was appointed by Hitler himself, giving him great authority on the ground in Luxembourg. He was also the Gauleiter, that is, Nazi party chief, of the Moselle land based in Trier. Simon was a committed Nazi who believed that Luxembourg was an integral part of the German Reich and that its population was German by blood and culture. From the beginning of his reign of terror in Luxembourg, Simon set about destroying all elements of French influence in the country through an intense programme of Germanization and Nazification. In August 1940, German became the official language with the usage of French band and the phrase Heil Hitler introduced for all greetings. Soon, even French-sounding family and town names were Germanized, and berets were forbidden in an effort to eradicate French culture. Simon also sought to destroy the independent institutions of Luxembourg in order to fully integrate it into the Reich. From the autumn of 1940, political parties, labor unions, the Conseil d'État and the Chamber of Deputies were all abolished, and German law was introduced, including the anti-Semitic Nuremberg laws. As a symbol of those who had fought against Germany in the First World War, the Geller Frau was demolished in October 1940, and civil society organisations and the press were also targeted by the Nazis. For instance, the Luxembourg Vought was transformed into a Nazi organ. Its original director Jean Origer and editors Pierre Grégoire and Batty Esch were all arrested and sent to Mauthausen concentration camp, with only Grégoire surviving the ordeal. The Catholic Church managed to survive, but its organisations were closed down and its hold on schools was abolished. In their place, Simon's administration introduced institutions such as the Hitler Youth, the League of German Girls, the National Socialist Women's League and the German Labour Front. The Luxembourgish population did not feel German, however. In 1941, the German occupiers carried out a civil status survey in which Luxembourg civilians were asked to state their nationality, mother tongue and ethnicity. Contrary to the expectations of the occupier, up to 95% of the population answered Luxembourgish to all three questions. But life was extremely difficult for the Luxembourgish population under Nazi rule. Public servants and business figures alike were threatened with losing their livelihoods unless they joined Nazi organisations. In the first years of the occupation, though, it was the Jews who suffered most. By the outbreak of the Second World War, around 3,500 to 4,000 Jews lived in Luxembourg. Some had lived in the region for generations, while others were political refugees from Nazi Germany. The Nazi invasion in May 1940 led up to 2,000 Jews to flee the country, with many settling in France and some leaving for America. During the first year of the occupation, with anti-Semitism becoming more and more strongly enforced, another 1,000 or so Jews left Luxembourg. From September 1940, Jewish students were banned from Luxembourgish schools, and synagogues were closed in Luxembourg City and Esch-sur-Alzette in May and June 1941, later to be destroyed. 
The final straw came on October 14, 1941. The final straw came on October 14, 1941, when Luxembourgish Jews were ordered to wear the yellow star. From this day onwards, Jews were unable to leave the Grand Duchy, and the deportations soon began. Estimates suggest that by this time only 800 or so Jews remained in Luxembourg, of which 80% were over the age of 50. And in 1941, the remaining Jews were rounded up and held at the Monastery of Saint-Fontaine, or Fünfbrunnen, near Trois-Vierges in northern Luxembourg. The first deportation of Luxembourgish Jews occurred on October 17, 1941, when 323 Jews left Luxembourg City on a train that eventually ended up at the Lodz Ghetto in Poland. Of the 323 Jews deported that day, only 11 would survive. And between 1941 and June 17, 1943, a further six trains deported another 335 Luxembourgish Jews to the ghetto in Ispica or concentration camps in Theresienstadt and Auschwitz. The Holocaust in Luxembourg therefore saw around 658 Jews deported from Luxembourg, with between 36 and 56 surviving. And the culmination of the deportation of the Jews came on June 17, 1943, when Gustave Simon declared Luxembourg to be Judenfrei. Sadly, as well as those deported from Luxembourg, it's estimated that up to 500 Jews who had fled the Grand Duchy before October 1941 would be arrested and deported from France or Belgium. Government figures thus conclude that around 1,200 Jews residing in Luxembourg in May 1940 ended up killed by the Nazis. They're commemorated today by a museum at the train station in Hollerich and a memorial on the site of the destroyed synagogue in Esch-sur-Alzette. But Jews were not the only Luxembourgers to face deportation under the Nazi rule. On August 30th, 1942, a day known to some in Luxembourg as the darkest day in the country's history, Gauleiter Simon decided to make Luxembourgers German nationals. Historian Victor Delcourt has written that once the news of this announcement was known, it spread like wildfire across the country because, as he put it, the change of nationality allowed Simon to follow through with the terrible and unnatural thing of squeezing Luxembourg's youth into the detested Wehrmacht. Simon justified the change of nationality with a speech given in a hall in Limpitzburg, where he argued that Luxembourg's independence had been unnatural because it separated German blood from German blood. It was detrimental because it transformed Luxembourg into a laughingstock, and it was therefore important for the future that every Luxembourger live in the state that is the home of all Germans, the Reich of Adolf Hitler. The news of the change of nationality brought about a general strike in Luxembourg, beginning in Wiltz on August 31, 1942, and spreading across the country by September 2nd. Luxembourgers in every profession, from miners to mill workers, teachers to civil servants, and farmers to labourers, refused to go to work. And in response, the Gestapo arrested up to 2,000 people, of whom 20 were shot at a concentration camp in Hinzert. By early September, the strike had been broken by force, but Luxembourgers had demonstrated their resistance to the Nazi occupation. Simon's decree would have massive consequences for Luxembourg. All Luxembourgish men born between 1920 and 1924, and then 1927, were now eligible to serve in the German army and a total of between 10,200 and 11,200 Luxembourgers were eventually called up. Now of these, around 3,500 fled conscription. Some made their way to the French or Belgian resistance movements, but two-thirds stayed in Luxembourg to be hidden in forests, mines, farms and churches. Escaping military service came at a great cost though, as the punishment for hiding eligible conscripts was often death, and the families of those who escaped were sometimes punished with deportation to the east. But for those who couldn't escape, life in the Wehrmacht was horrific. 
the Luxembourgish conscripts had to fight far away from their homeland, their families and loved ones, and they had to take up arms in the service of a cause they hated against the Allied forces trying to liberate their country. And for many, it was a death sentence. Around 3,000 young Luxembourgers lost their lives during the war. Some were killed in action, while others were shot for desertion, and many died in Soviet prisoner-of-war camps. 1,004 Luxembourgers were held captive at the Tambov prisoner-of-war camp in the Soviet Union, of whom only 838 made it back to their homeland. Now, it's clear that the large majority of the Luxembourgish population was opposed to the German occupation, but collaboration did occur in some parts, even if the topic has sometimes been considered taboo. Luxembourg had had a variety of minuscule fascist movements in the 1930s, spouting a nationalist, anti-Semitic ideology with little impact. But when the Nazis invaded, these groups formed the basis for recruiting collaborators. On July 13, 1940, a group called the Volksdeutsche Bewegung, or VDB, was formed in Luxembourg, led by a man called Damien Kratzenberg. There was initially great pressure to join the VDB, but by late 1941 a Luxembourg section of the Nazi party was founded and gained more influence. It has been claimed that some young Luxembourgers joined the Wehrmacht even before Simon's order in August 1942, although precise numbers are unclear. The most important collaboration, however, was economic. Luxembourg's iron and steel production was vital to the Nazi war effort, and after an initial crash in 1940, it had recovered at pre-war levels by 1944. The principal company in the Grand Duchy was Arbed, now known as ArcelorMittal. Arbed's attitude during the war was summarised by one historian as survival collaboration, and its managing director Alois Meyer was later tried for collaboration. With the line between resistance and collaboration often a spectrum rather than a choice, it's hard to estimate how many Luxembourgers did collaborate with the Nazi authorities. But when the Germans fled Luxembourg in September 1944, around 3,500 Luxembourgish collaborators went with them. Of those that stayed, after the war, around 1,400 were sentenced to prison, including former Prime Minister Pierre Prum. 645 were sent to workhouses, 255 were sentenced to forced labour, and 12 were shot. On the other hand, there was also a Luxembourgish resistance movement. Now, the resistance was never a very organised movement in Luxembourg, partially due to the brutal crackdowns of Gauleiter Simon, but also due to the divergent views of Luxembourgers who opposed the Germans. Some resistors were liberals who found anti-Semitism abhorrent. Others were conservatives who disliked National Socialism and hated its attack on religion. And there were also communists, although it's important to note that the Communist Party of Luxembourg only started to resist after the German invasion of the USSR in June 1941. The Luxembourgish resistance was extremely fragmented from the start, with small movements being formed in villages across the country, and attempts to merge sometimes backfired due to the presence of pro-German spies. Only in 1944 did an umbrella group emerge in the form of the Union von der Lützeburger. The activities of the resistance were never direct military opposition to the Nazi authorities, as that would have been suicide. Instead, the resistance organised an underground press to spread counter-propaganda, producing magazines such as De Freie Lutzeburger. They helped to hide those who had escaped conscription, they provided some intelligence on rocket testing sites to Allied forces, and they helped to organise the general strike of 1942. The achievements of the Luxembourg resistance were never major, but their efforts were extremely brave, and they are commemorated by the National Resistance Museum in Esch-sur-Alzette. The occupation of Luxembourg from 1940 to 1944 was without a doubt the most traumatic period of the country's history, and this year will mark 80 years since it began. 
Next time, we will be looking at how Luxembourg was liberated and then partially reoccupied in the winter of 1944 to 1945. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Luxembourg History Podcast. This episode was based on articles by Natalie Lodi and Gary Erang. Script adaptation and hosting by Thomas Tutton. Production by Martin Johnson. Brought to you by RTL Today.